Jack Cohn throwing down. He says, I'm out of here. Obviously, entered the NCAA transfer portal. Jack Cohn on his way to uh, to be a fighting Irish. I uh, I know you kind of root for the Irish, Rowdy. They're kind of your secondary team in uh, – Right? Are they your secondary team, third team, like somebody you like to pay attention to? Yeah, I pay a little attention to Notre Dame. I'd consider them my second favorite yeah. team. So Jack Cohn going to Notre Dame, the story of Jack Cohn, obviously, um, we, we saw what happened this year, uh, got hurt in practice, a non-contact injury, went back, kind of broke his foot, had to have surgery on it, and then, yeah, Mertz Mania then was unleashed with the game against Illinois where he Mertz threw five touchdowns and was what twenty one to twenty two completion and everyone was like, oh my god, we're going to the college football playoffs, uh, and then Jack Cohn was never going to get a starting job back. He essentially got Wally pipped. Uh, Jack Cohn, if he doesn't get injured though, would be the starter for Wisconsin this year. Um, you know, last year when Mertz came in, everyone was excited about Graham Mertz. Well, Jack Cohn was head and shoulders better than Graham Mertz in practice. Uh, Rowdy, what do we think of the now career of Jack Cohn going to Notre Dame as, don't forget, September 25th, your Wisconsin Badgers will be going to Soldier Field in Chicago to go against Notre Dame in the Fighting Irish and Jack Cohn. Does that add a little drama to the game? What do you think? 100% it adds drama to the game. Because if you remember correctly, that Notre Dame game was supposed to be played this year until all of the canceling non-conference and then the wonky... We're playing, we're not playing. Yeah. Then we're going to play or try and play eight games. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they were supposed to play Notre Dame originally. Obviously, it gets pushed back a year. Jack Cohn was supposed to be the quarterback going into this season. Obviously, foot injury foot changed injury. that. Wally pipped. And all of a sudden, Ian Book's graduating. Jack Cohn's got an opening at Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame, top 15 program pretty much the last yeah. Oh, they were decades. just in the college football playoffs, weren't they? They just, they did just get, they got bull raised down by <laughs> Alabama, but I mean, it's a good solid quality team. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And you got the, you know, the prestige of Notre Dame, you have the, the name, the history and but they yeah. have an opening at quarterback and Jack Cohn, who I, I like Jack Cohn. I kind of wanted to see Jack Cohn play this year, to be honest with you, after I saw Graham Mertz struggling and uh, what was it? Was it the Iowa game rowdy when we saw it? Was that when Graham Mertz had, or not Graham Mertz, was that when Jack Cohen had dressed? Yeah, the Iowa game was where... Yeah, he dressed and he, he was fine. Graham Mertz was struggling and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking there and go, are they going to go to Cohen? Are they going to Cohen? And that was when all of a sudden Chase Wolf trotted yeah, out there. Chase Wolf. And it was extremely weird because Jack Cohen was dressing. And for an away team. For an, for away. an away game. It didn't make any sense. Which takes up a roster spot. I mean, wh- why would you carry someone? Why would you dress someone if they weren't going to play? And then we come to find out that's the same timeline where Jack Cohn had, had said something to the staff that he was thinking about putting his name into the transfer portal. And I guess that's why uh, he didn't play. But, yeah, Jack Cohn has now <clears throat> tweeted it out. I, this is my favorite part about it all. This is hands down my favorite part about it. All of the Jack Cohn news we have had throughout the years, because remember when you know he start, was going to start the Pinstripe Bowl and his dad tweeted out that his son was starting? Do you remember that? Mike Cohn? Remember that, Rowdy? Yep. We The only information we ever got about Jack Cohn, if it was, I mean, the university's never really given any information at all. They don't have to. The only thing we ever got about Jack Cohn news-wise was from his dad on Twitter. That's it. For the first time, in more than three years, 
Jack Cohn tweeted out the news yesterday that he's going to Notre Dame. Yeah, it's pretty funny if you look at the, <laughs> the Twitter his Twitter profile. It still says that he lives in New York. Yeah, and it's still his high school pictures on it. <laughs> and is yes, like you said, his last tweets were like retweets for Wisconsin yeah. Badger accounts from 2017. Yeah. Not very active on the Twitter sphere. Do you think his dad was just like sweating bullets, like chomping at the bit? He's like, son, 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 let me tweet it out. Can I please tweet out that you're going to Notre Dame? Let Can I please do it? Jack's like, no, dad, this is my decision. Because I, I swear to God, because we joked about this before, that Jack Cohn's dad like wants to be viral. He like wants to be a Twitter reporter or something. Doesn't it seem like that? Do you uh, think he begged his son to let him tweet it out? I mean, it's a big deal. It made the top headlines on ESPN, CBS. Yeah, it's all over the place. Um this is the most and if you're attention. Not a, if you're not a good quarterback, you transferring is not going to go up on websites' top headlines. Yeah, I'm looking at ESPN.com, and the it's the last top headline. It says, ex-Wisconsin quarterback Cohen transfers to Notre Dame. Then I clicked over to CBSSports.com, and it's literally the first headline, top headline, but it doesn't mention Wisconsin. It says, Notre Dame lands graduate transfer quarterback who could start. They don't name Wisconsin. I've never seen a year where Wisconsin and their quarterbacks have gotten so many top headlines. Now You have Jack Cohn right now transferring to Notre Dame. Before that, last week, you had Graham Mertz breaking the Duke's Mayo Bowl trophy. And then before that, there was, I think it was when Mertz got COVID. And then before that, it was when Mertz uh, dominated Illinois. Have you ever seen a year, Rowdy, as weird as 2020 was? Have you? Well, 2021 now. We're starting out with Wisconsin front page. Have you ever seen a year that was? with so many top headlines of Wisconsin and their quarterbacks? Yeah, probably the last time was when Russell Wilson was playing quarterback for the Badgers. <laughs> and that was a while ago. So, yeah, pretty crazy that uh, all this publicity going on. And then um, for other quarterbacks, obviously got Aaron Rodgers in Wisconsin. He's looking to get that MVP. He's looking to uh, you know get to another Super Bowl, hoist that Lombardi trophy. Uh, but for all intents and purpose, purposes right here, um, I'm a very excited for that Wisconsin-Notre Dame game, September 25th at Soldier. I uh, I hope it will be able to happen, right? But, uh, yeah, so looking here, Cohen is going to compete with sophomore Brendan Clark and freshman Drew Pine and an incoming four-star recruit, Tyler Buckner. That's going to replace Ian Book, uh, who obviously, like we were just talking about and you saw over the weekend, led um, Notre Dame to the college football playoffs. So, Cohen, you'd have to imagine he's transferring there to be the starter. I couldn't yeah, I couldn't imagine I he transfers somewhere like a Notre Dame to sit on the bench for two for another season when he could have done the exact same thing at Wisconsin and not left. Yeah, you'd think the reason you think the reason why he transferred is cuz he didn't want to be a bench guy, a role guy. He wants to be a starter, right? I mean, that's the obvious answer, right, Rowdy? Like he thinks he's a starter, he should be a starter, he's going to go be a starter. Why would you transfer? If you're not and going and to, and you'd be a have starter. to uh, imagine that he talked to to the co- uh, Notre Dame head coach uh, Kelly and said, "Hey, I'm interested in coming to Notre Dame." And yeah, he's probably like, "Wink, wink, yeah, we got a spot for you." <laughs> <laughs> a lot of winking going on. Totally. Uh, I don't know. If this th- does this make Notre Dame better? I mean, Jack Cohn's a good quarterback, right? This is this is good for Notre Dame. Not that we're in a Notre Dame sta- station, but you know, I, I want to see Jack Cohn succeed. I want to see Jack Cohn. I like Jack Cohn. Do you like Jack Cohn? Yeah, I think uh, if you look at all the Wisconsin quarterbacks post Brooks Bollinger, so basically like from 2000 on, yeah, 
I'd say Jack Cohn, in my opinion, probably about the third best Wisconsin quarterback behind Russell Wilson and Scott Tolzien. Yeah, Cohn started 18 games for the Badgers, including all 14 in 2019. Wisconsin won the Big Ten West. They played in the Rose Bowl with Jack Cohn. He threw for you know 2,727 yards. He had 18 touchdowns. He had five interceptions. And like we were talking about earlier, was poised to be the starter again until he broke his foot and Graham Mertz came in and then that Illinois game happened, and boom, let me ask you, dude. Well, the thing with Jack Cohn is you can't be upset with anything Jack Cohn ever did. He no. did He did everything the coaching staff and the program ever asked him to do. He came in in relief for Alex Hornibrook. Yeah. He started for one full season and led them to the Heisman. And then to, to the Heisman. Rose to Bowl. the Rose Bowl. Yep. And then from there on, he was going to be the starter again this year until injury. And there was even a lot of hype out in the media and on the Twitter about when he wasn't starting, about how he was talking to Graham Mertz, yeah, so, how yeah, he was bring being a good teammate, how he was basically everything that they could have asked him to do, and now he transferred, moving on, and looking to start his uh, career yeah. in another, well, another place. Yeah, Jack Cohn has never, literally never done anything wrong, unless you want to throw in some fumbles or interceptions like against Northwestern, but what, that's football if that happens. Jack Cohn was nothing but a quintessential Wisconsin guy, a quintessential team player, a guy that had his back. After the games, when he was finally back on the field, he would go up to you know Chase Wolf after the Minnesota game, and he was celebrating with him. He'd go up to Graham Mertz, he was celebrating with him. Jack Cohn, I feel for the guy, man. you got to sit behind that stink bag, no offense, but that stink bag Alex Hornibrook, and you, know, you just got to know you're better than that guy. And then you know that your team, your teammates, your fellow teammates around him have given up on Alex Hornibrook. And you're like, what do I got to do to be a starter? And then finally he gets that pinstripe bowl, balls out against Miami, and then he goes uh, to be the starter, gets him to a Rose Bowl, then unfortunately breaks his foot on a non-contact injury after waiting so long to be the starter over Alex Hornibrook. And then he's got to fight off everyone last year screaming, for Graham Mertz, despite Jack Cohn being better. And then Graham Mertz has the Illinois game, and he never gets his job back. I feel for the guy. It All right, let me ask you, dude. If Graham Mertz doesn't have – let's say Graham Mertz just has like a ho-hum, like they still beat Illinois, but instead of Graham Mertz, five touchdowns, it's like the running backs have five touchdowns. Graham Mertz just does what you know normal Wisconsin quarterbacks usually do, hand the ball off to the running back, they go score. If Graham Mertz doesn't have the Mertz Mania game against Illinois, is Jack Cohn the starter again once uh, he's fully healed? Yeah, I think he is. God, just, isn't that nuts? One game. Just because from what you saw from Mertz, I guess two seasons ago now, was all garbage time. Yeah. Here, here, make a couple throws against, was it Central Michigan and, and teams like that. And then going into that Illinois game, if you would have been extremely average, why wouldn't you have went back to Cohn? Yeah. One game. One game, and you're like, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, Jack. Well, you you can even see that a lot of his teammates respect him too, because when he sent out that tweet for the first time in three years, <laughs> I saw a couple. <laughs> I saw a couple Badgers retweet yeah. it, saying different messages with it, and Same. all positive. Same, yeah. So did I. I saw. Um, let's see here. I saw. Oh, Scotty Nelson said brother with a heart emoji. Eric Burrell <clears throat> had a heart emoji. He said family. He had you know other guys coming in, like giving well wishing him and saying, you know, can't wait to see what you do, yada, yada, yada. So Jack Cohen never did anything wrong, you know, just was a victim of what? Poor timing. Do you think Jack Cohen went to Notre Dame on purpose because he knew they were going to be playing Wisconsin next year? Little 
little Brett Favre-esque trying to get back into the division or into a team where they're going to be playing Wisconsin. Okay, I'm glad you say did, that. I like it. I, I'm glad you say that. I want to talk about that coming up, so I'm going to save it, Rowdy. There's something he says, and RJ was me- messaging me last night. He's like, RJ's got... I don't, I don't know if RJ's a big conspiracy theory guy, but RJ might have a little conspiracy theory here about Jack Cohn's tweet itself and what you just said as well. So we'll talk about that coming up. We'll do that. Because if he did, I respect it even more. The first time in three years has used his Twitter account to tweet out, and this time news. Usually it's uh, left to his dad, Mike Cohn to tweet out the news of what his son's doing, uh, like when he started the pinstripe bowl for the Badgers. But Jack Cohn and, uh, said this, and RJ, my man RJ over here, asked me a question. He's like, do you think this was a shot at a certain individual? Jack Cohn tweets out, it's a picture of you know the N and the D for Notre Dame, their logo, and Jack Cohn's tweet says, extremely thankful for the opportunity. Let's get to work at ND Football. Now, RJ, I thought nothing of it. I'm like, oh, that's just Jack Cohen saying he's going to, you know, Notre Dame. He's going to be, you know, an Irish. And his his dad's probably like, man, why couldn't you let me tweet he's, that out, son? He's going to be an Irish. Is, is, is that proper <laughs> vernacular? It's going to be a, a, a fighting Irishman. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, it would be he would have been a Badger. Yeah. So yeah, he's a, so, uh, he's uh, a fighting Irish. He's a, a fighting Irish. So he's <laughs> extremely thankful for the opportunity. Let's get to work. And I thought nothing of it. I'm like, oh, I think you know, he's just. Thankful for the opportunity, but then you said, "Yeah, I mean, is that a parting shot at Chris? Is that a parting shot at Paul Chris? Because what do we know about Paul Chris? It's something we like to do here when we play his clips from his pressers because we like to have fun with it. I think every other word is either out of Chris' mouth is either opportunity or appreciate, yeah, or thankful. As Jack Cohen, Paul Chris, everything you appreciate the opportunity." We're glad we have the opportunity. You're thankful. We're for thankful the for the opportunity. Everything's an opportunity. Paul Christ loves that word. Jack Cohn says, extremely thankful for the opportunity, period. Let's get to work. Is that a shot at Paul Christ? Yeah. Most most of the time you, when these guys transfer, they're like excited to continue my career at. Let's go. What do you think, Nelly? Is RJ onto something? Is this a shot at Paul Crisp uh, uh, out the door? I mean, he might be. I don't think so. I think it's just kind of a cliche thing to say, right? Yeah. To me, it's Jack Cohen around Paul Crisp for so long, and yeah. I guarantee it, they— It rubs off on you. Do they have media guys like, hey, here's here's what you got to say. Here's what you say. Here's well, what you say. It's not saying thankful for do the they, opportunity. Do they bash in your head like, you need to see these three words. You got to pepper in thankful, opportunity, and appreciate every time. All they do is tell you to not talk about anybody else not talk about anything specific and be broad with your answers. Sure. So like And be appreciative. Yeah. And <laughs> and after it you're always supposed to say on Wisconsin. That's So Jack Cohn, extremely thankful for the opportunity, period. Let's get to work at ND football. And who knows? Maybe it is spending four years here and listening it, to being thankful for the opportunity. It could be because, you know, you hear Brad Davison say it all the time. Greg Gard says the same stuff. Yeah. So it's, you know, to me, it's like coach player speak. But, I mean, if you look at the timeline, Jack Cohn in that Iowa game suited up, took a, a roster spot on the away team in full garb in yeah. the dress, but then wasn't available, according to Paul Christ, even though he was – Taking that roster, I do. Spot? I do like the people who have never been involved in a pro- football program who then say, "Well, he was just tired of being in street clothes." All right, well, so you're just going to st- stand around with all the pads and the helmet on and stuff? Right. That doesn't. 
Like, why doesn't the coach do that then? If, if that is the case, you could invite all the red shirts to to go to away games and dress them and not ha- not play anybody. Well, else. you're sick of standing around in street right. clothes. Well, how come I don't see Jordan Love then dressed up right. in full pads, even though he can't be for the Packers? You have a, walk-ons and all that are allowed to dress and be on the sidelines for home games. Your travel squad is eighty something, like seventy 80, something. I I can't remember. What low it is. high seventies, low eighties. You don't dress a guy who's not going to play. It that, doesn't make sense. That takes up a travel squad spot. And if that, he's injured, yeah, he can go. And that's the same that timeline that Iowa game is the same timeline as when he told the coaching staff that he was thinking about putting his name in the transfer portal. Right. So I can be like, well, I guess we're not playing you then. Right. Jace Wolf, let's go. It does appear how it's going. So I don't think it's a shot. I just think it's him just being like that extreme, like towing I, the the football guy line. Yeah, but still, I mean... It's something it's, to think about. Yeah. It's interesting. Is. And I, I did see somebody tweet out, and they were worried about their signs being stolen this year. <laughs> like, and I, I went and looked up like some of that quarterback room. Uh, they have one really highly touted guy uh, in Phil Jerkovic. Yeah. Um, and then another guy who was a freshman this year who was like uh, a top – 25 quarterback it looks like uh coming out of his other than that that cupboard's pretty bare they've missed on a lot more quarterbacks sure uh in in recruiting than they've gotten um and with ian book gone he he might be in a, a three-way battle for that starting spot this coming year yeah they got that sophomore um, brendan clark they got the freshman drew pine and an incoming four-star recruit tyler buckner yeah um and well move and, the story forward who do you think has a better game next year Jack Home versus Graham Mertz. Man, that's going to be Chase sub- Wolf. September 25th. <laughs> Daniel Soldier Wright. Field, the Battle of Mertz Cohen. That's going to be an hmm, I'm interested. Uh, I mean, they they P- still potentially have to, potentially yeah, Cohen. Potentially, they still have to name their quarterback and honestly, there's going to be some competition for that starting spot. Yeah. Well, Rowdy said it yeah. earlier. It's like he's not going to transfer there if there's not a shot at playing. Right. And you're not. But I mean, we also saw Hornybook Transfer to God. State. He played. He did. He stinks. Let's go to the phone. On Sunday, the NFC East, pretty wild, right? I mean, a, 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 just full of just terrible, inept teams. But unfortunately, someone has to make the playoffs, right? So uh, earlier in the day on Sunday, it was the Cowboys going against the Giants. Whoever won that game had an opportunity to get into the playoffs as long as the Eagles beat the Washington football team later that day. So the New York Giants went on in a entertaining game. It was entertaining in like a like a head scratcher, but it was an entertaining game to say the least against the Cowboys. Giants beat the Cowboys and Big Mike and send the Cowboys packing. They're done for the season. The Giants now have to do a little scoreboard watching to see what happens between the Eagles and the Washington football team. Well, the Eagles and their head coach, Doug Peterson. Rowdy, how would you – we were talking a little bit about it yesterday. Uh, Doug Peterson refused to kick any field goals. He kept going for it on fourth down. Um, then he eventually benched Jalen Hurts and put in his, like, third-string quarterback. Yeah. And then they had an opportunity to, like, win the game, but it, didn't it kind of feel like Doug Peterson and the Eagles were actively were trying to lose the game? In fact, I saw a clip of Jalen Hurts yesterday sitting on the bench. So it, was, uh, it went viral on Twitter. Jalen Hurts was sitting on the bench – Shaking his head, saying, This ain't right. This ain't right. This ain't right. Like, seeming like the fix was in. 
So eventually the football team of Washington go on to beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Therefore, the football team has now secured their spot top of the NFC East, and they are now in the playoffs as they beat the Eagles 20-14. to We all, and everyone else on Twitter and uh, just talking to people around the halls, and you saw like front-page headlines, Doug Peterson was like, I was coaching to win the game. Well, it didn't really seem like it. In fact, a lot of people, even your own quarterback, Doug, were like, this ain't right. So yesterday, New York Giants head coach Joe Judge had some things to say about Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. He never mentions any names, but he dropped the hammer on what I'm assuming is Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. I will get the audio up. I want you to take a listen and uh, think, is this the unwritten rules of the NFL? Here you go. Obviously, players have asked me throughout the day, and, and I just can't express that. I think one thing to keep in mind with this season is we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay? We had a lot of people opt in. All right? Coaches, players. That includes family members as well. All right? So to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day-in, day-out basis and to empty the tank – and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is going to be canceled, we have to do a virtual day, okay, to tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the offseason. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members of the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. What do you think? That last, that last little 20 seconds of him talking about we will never disrespect the game, never disrespect the players, never disrespect yada, yada, yada. Joe Judge comes out guns blazing, and that is directly aimed at Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you said it earlier, Rowdy, and I'm in the same vein. Maybe you should have won one more game, maybe two more games. Joe, Joe Judge, though, Giants head coach, does he have a point in what happened here? With well, Doug what Peterson he was describing with all the sacrifices that his players had went through, I think you could easily turn that on its head and say, Every NFL player and every NFL team did those same exact things. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Eagles did those same things. A hundred percent. And if you're looking at it from Doug Peterson and the Eagles standpoint, a win, I believe, knocked them up to the ninth pick and the loss got them the sixth pick. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at draft capital, trading up from number nine to number six, that costs a lot more. Yeah. it's a, it, it costs a lot more to go up in a draft from nine to six even then when Green Bay went up at the end of the first round. Yeah. It cost them just a fourth rounder. But when you start talking about higher first round picks, the price of that costs a lot more. So what the Eagles did was smart because they actually got the sixth pick instead of the ninth pick. pick. So they, they actually saved a lot of money with draft capital. Yeah. 
guess what? Here's the thing. Nobody cared when the <laughs> Ofer Jets lost the game on purpose to the Raiders. No, no one did. Did, did you hear anyone screaming about the Jets throwing the game? No. We just laughed was, at it. We laughed about it. That was when they had less than 10 seconds left, and they went in like a cover zero, yeah. and they allowed the little Derek Carr to bomb the out LA, to, or the Las Vegas Raiders to throw a bomb for a touchdown yeah. to win. It was like it was a bomb. It was like a forty yarder, or something like that. No one, no one cared though, because it was the O for Jets. Yep, no one but cared. But all of a sudden, they now they care because it was what the four, four win, uh, Eagle team. Yeah. So Joe Judge is out there, obviously pissed off that in his belief, Doug Peterson and the Eagles laid down for the football team to get in. Hell, if you if you ask Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt, their team laid down almost the whole season. <laughs> I know. You don't hear about any team that played the Houston Texans talking about them throwing games. Like, we were talking about J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson about how those guys give it their all, but it looks like the rest of their teammates are just like, why are we even here? There's so many teams. What about teams that full-on tank? Like, you know, the Jets you're talking about. What about teams, you know, this and that? How about this? Why didn't the Giants and Joe Judge handle their own business? Because they had how many weeks? Didn't they have about 16 other weeks? 15 other weeks. And I don't know. Maybe they should have got off to a better start than going 0-5. See, you lose. Let's look at this, the or, Giants. Or, I don't know, 1-7. You lose to the Steelers week one. You lose to the Bears week two. You lose to the 49ers week three. You lose to the Rams week four. You lose to the Cowboys week five. You you finally get your first win against the football team by one point week six. Then you lose to the Eagles. Then you lose to the Buccaneers. Then you beat Washington again. I can see why he's got a gripe because they did beat the football team twice. And then they beat the Giants. And then they beat the Bengals. And they beat the Seahawks. And they lose to the Cardinals, lose to the Browns, lose to the Ravens. And then they beat the Cowboys at the end. And now they're bitching about not making it into the playoffs. I feel like if you wanted to, you know, control your own destiny and not have to complain, bitch and moan about what the Eagles did, you would have won a couple other games along the way. Um, why don't you just handle your own business? And then Ron Rivera. See, I wonder if Joe Judge would have been upset if, say, they had gotten that four spot. But then they actually, when they when they throw him into the draft, they actually give the Giants where the fourth best team in the NFC would have came in, not like the ninth or tenth spot, wherever it was, just because of how bad that NFC East was. Yeah, it was something like I saw where Washington, even with a win, is only moving up so many spots. Mm-hmm in the draft because it goes still by record. So you can be seven and nine and get that four seed and still have a a better uh, or a higher pick than the five seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they won more games. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. I bet he wouldn't. I bet he wouldn't bitch about that. He wouldn't be. So I I got this. I was looking at this, read the CBS sports article last night and it says whether the Eagles violated the integrity of the game is up for debate. But Washington head coach Ron Rivera fails to see any wrongdoing by Doug Peterson and the Eagles, and he's not apologizing for winning the game either. Of course, why would you? We don't apologize. He said, quote, well, honestly and truthfully, it doesn't matter. You play whoever is out there. I'm not going to apologize for winning. Apparently, that's what everyone wants me to do is apologize for winning. I'm not going to. You play the game as it's set up. Nobody complained when Pittsburgh did what they did last night against Cleveland. I mean, come on. This is just the way it is. Yeah, didn't, uh, didn't the Steelers rest? Didn't they start Mason Rudolph? Didn't the Steelers rest a lot of guys? 
And they uh, they let the Cleveland. The, couldn't you make the case then that the Pittsburgh Steelers let Cleveland into the playoffs? Then yeah, even at the end of that game for the Steelers, they were playing Joshua Dobbs, who was the third yeah. string quarterback. Couldn't you say the Steelers laid down to let Cleveland in? So Ron Rivera is bringing that up. Well, let me ask you, and we could talk about it coming up. Did the did the Philadelphia Eagles violate the integrity of the game by, as some suggest, like Joe Judge throwing the game for a. Uh, the Washington football team? Or are they just playing smart for their future with draft capital? I think they're just playing smart with the future with draft cap. I mean, there was no... For the Philadelphia Eagles, if you look at it, a win is only going to give you a worse draft pick. Yeah. A win wasn't getting you into the playoffs. No. Look at your team already. You're, you're starting Jalen Hurts, who is a rookie quarterback. You obviously need to surround him with weapons. Remember we were talking about Carson Wentz, how any some anything you would consider a weapon was injured for them yeah. and their offensive line was banged up whether you wanted to go forward with Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts they need players around them <laughs> yeah cuz they do not have much on that roster and normally the sixth best player in the draft is better than the ninth best player <laughs> yeah unless you're the packers and you want to go for like the extreme future all right so tone deaf from Joe Judge honest question here yeah what are you doing telling your players you can't be with your family? Yeah, because I never really heard people not being able to be with their right. family. I mean, like, it's had, not like they're in a stories, bubble like the NBA. You had stories of... Uh, I just saw an Instagram th- or uh, a bunch of comments come out from Von Miller and is now his new baby mama of them fighting with each other and then him asking her if she'd come over so they could get a, get it on. Okay, well, see, that could be they don't live together to begin with. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not a big deal yeah. for the NFL guys. Um, He's inviting people over that are just they don't they're not even together. It's like, like, hey, come over here. I'm horny. Matt Stafford, like having to run home and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, did he so like tell the Giants they couldn't see their families? That's kind of what it sounded like. So this sounds more like a guy who just made his team. I think what he's doing Sequester is sequester themselves like away from he's, everything. I think he's virtue signaling right here. He's um, kind of he's like, this is what you know everyone should have done. This is what I do, so everyone else should do it. Yada yada yada. It's like, dude, how about you just I don't know win more I mean, games it, previous to the last game week of the season? It does sound like another uh, like Belichick disciple trying to be Bill Belichick. I just don't understand. It's like, dude, you had you had how many weeks to win more games? Right. And now you're complaining about it at the last game of the season for you? Yeah. And and what, Ron Rivera's supposed to lay down against the Eagles too then? Is that what you're trying to say? Like Doug Peterson is looking, uh, Rowdy pointed out, they got better in the draft. That's going to help them long term. Yeah. The Eagles did. And well, they moved up three spots. Was Ron Rivera and the Washington football 96. team supposed to be like, oh, oh, we want the Giants and we'll just lay down and let them win? Right. And the only questionable move the really questionable move is putting in Nate Sudfeld <laughs> um <laughs> yeah Jalen Hurts was not happy about that I mean that I game. under I understand not going for field goals and stuff maybe because you don't trust your kicker sure I haven't followed the Eagles close enough so well, I don't know their kicking situation Nelly, what, what happened with the Eagles and their draft picks oh yeah just I- I- increasing from number nine to number six is a lot like yeah Look at how much teams have to give up to go up in the draft when you're inside the top 10. We're taking, we're even talking if you're just from number six to number three. In the difference once you get up that high is a lot of capital. 
I mean, now did they have to play Sudfeld? No, probably not. They could have. They could have derailed that by you know just calling different plays that they probably well, shouldn't have been running. Jalen Hurts in the sideline was like, "This isn't right. This isn't right." <laughs> but it's still yeah. Uh, so, but honestly, be better than six and ten. Right? Are the Jets talking about the integrity of the game with the Jaguars right now? Right. I, well, Rowdy yeah, brought, brought up a good point James, too against the Raiders. James, James Robinson, who was the leading rusher for NFL rookies this year until he didn't play the last two or three games, right. and Jonathan Taylor surpassed him on the last week of the season, he was playing dinged up with a bad shoulder and I want to say a, some nicks and bruises on the lower body. For majority of the year. For most of the season <laughs> yeah. because I had him on my fantasy team and he would always have the cue next to him, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, dealing with a sore shoulder. But they believe he'll be good to go. All of a sudden, the last few few weeks, once the the Jets won that game, and all of a sudden the Jaguars were back into the number one pick. James Robinson was sat out. Yeah, he, he James Robinson was their best offensive player next to him and DJ Chark. Yep. No uh, one's no one's calling out Jacksonville for saying, "Well, you uh, you sat down one of your best offensive players because he had a sore shoulder, but he played the other eight weeks with it." I will right. say the the putting in Nate Sudfeld at the end of the game is a little peculiar, but yeah, that's about it. But that's but when he talks about sacrificing things with family and practice it. and all that, yeah, every single NFL player did it. Every single Major League Baseball player did it. Every single NBA player did it. Every single professional athlete that wanted to get paid like that, and you did know that. who else is doing it? Every single freaking American. I like how is doing it. Just so every Joe Schmo is out there doing and, and it. And it's especially this year, all the sacrifices athletes make this year. But like you, you look at it. I, I heard a lot of it this year at the college level. They didn't get to go home for Thanksgiving. Well, they never they ever, do. Yeah, they didn't get to go home for Christmas in a normal year. If you have a New Year's Day bowl game, you are at the location. Is it over there two weeks ahead of time? Yeah. Well, a week? They're, you're, they're or the a week managers are there two weeks, yeah. and then you're the players there are a week ahead they're, of time? They're five years of my life. I didn't go home for Thanksgiving. I didn't go home for Christmas. Unforgettable. And if, if anything, going and playing these sports, it's a way to get away from all this. Right. Think about the people that go to their boring nine to five job every single day or are right unemployed. Here. Oh, sorry. This is not boring. You don't have anywhere to go. You're doing the same stuff over and over. Yeah. At least for football, you kind of get away from everything. Right. You do get your, your big time, obviously, checks. Yeah, you get yeah. millions of dollars. And you have the best health care around. Yeah, and, yes, and, and yes. What, what do you hear from players and coaches when they retire? I'm going to be able to spend more time, time with, with my, my family. family. I'm going to I'm going to make my kids birthdays. I'm going to make my kids football this, games. This is something they sacrifice every year, pandemic or not. Right. They're they're on the road. If you're, I think the worst probably be a baseball player. You're on the road yeah. nonstop. You're never seeing your family. Maybe they're traveling with you. You're not back for birthdays. You're not back for holidays because you're probably playing. Yada yada yada. The, the, don't use the COVID nineteen pandemic as an excuse to be pissed off because your team stunk yeah, those, and you couldn't make it those to the playoffs. Sacrifices are already there. They're just a little more heightened, apparently, in the Giants' case, where you're not even allowed to go see your immediate family. Yeah. And to Bob's um, point, give me millions of dollars to go play a game. Yeah, I'll I'll miss a family member's birthday. So, sorry, I'll make it up to you when I give you an exorbitant present that's pretty yeah. badass. Oh, you mean? Oh, I'm, you want a, you want an ATV? Sure, for, no problem. 
on your birthday. <laughs> Where did the ATV this, come this I was thinking team, of I was thinking of Adrian Peterson giving this his line. This team is gonna pay ATVs. me to not be at your birthday fifteen thousand dollars. You wouldn't want an ATV on running? that day. So guess what? Don't you $15, live on the country? dollars coming your way. Yeah. I mean it's it's like that, RJ, if I got you an ATV, would you like it? Probably. Rowdy, you're not getting one then. I mean I'm not not like I don't a big expect ATV you to buy guy, but ATVs. I'll become one. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I love one. It's like when you ever went to like Sam's Club and there was that anything. one hanging he gets up. Nothing. You'll get his gift you, too. Like you ever gone to the Sam's Club where yeah. you have that one? All right, peace. Sam's like, Club over here in Madison. Like hanging up on on the roof, and you're like, "Well, I want that." Yeah. Well, guess what? It was right next to the if you play a game, that was hanging if you play up. a game and sacrifice, like you know, Joe Judge is bitching about, I can I can buy you that for okay. for you, RJ. Yes. Yes. All right. Six zero eight three two one sixteen seventy Twitter zone Madison. I just Joe Judge. I think he's just pissed off that he didn't make the playoffs because his team stunk. Right. I mean, you had... Four, and he wants to blame someone else. You had four bad teams that all were... Bad. Able, had a chance, minus the Eagles, because of that tie Yeah. Uh, against the If he Bengals. wants to start pointing fingers, he better point the finger first at Saquon Barkley's ACL. Yep, there it is. <laughs> you are to blame. Game and a half. You. He you. played a game and a quarter. <laughs> game oh. and a quarter, that's right. Kings of the NFC North once again... Number one seed in the NFC. They will not have to play on Wild Card Weekend. They're in fact they're the only team with the bye in the NFC. Chiefs with the other bye in the AFC. Uh, Packers. I was reading this article, Rowdy, and I was like, man, these are some very interesting stats. It was something we talked about very briefly yesterday, and said, wow, that's really good. But then we you know continued to celebrate the greatness of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. But um, looking at this this right here, more drives by the Packers, ended in Aaron Rodgers' touchdowns, 48. Uh, total for Rodgers was 51, but 48 throwing. 48 receiving touchdowns, then J.K. Scott punts of 47, including one block punt. Isn't that remarkable that the Packers, who now have become the fourth team in NFL history to have more touchdown passes than punts in a single season, um, isn't it nice not to see J.K. Scott all the time? Remember how excited we were, or not excited, how confused we were at first of how high he was drafted, and then we're like, okay, well, we got a starter out of him, and he's actually booming his first, what, like season and a half? And now he's kind of regressed a little bit. But to, the fact that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were able to have more touchdowns than punts, I don't even know how you quantify that. Like, how do you well, even? Well, you just said it. They're one of four teams to yeah, ever do it. It's insane. It's absolutely crazy. And then when you look at special teams, how about this? More drives by the Packers. Ended in Devontae Adams' touchdown catches, 18. Then Mason Crosby field goals, only 16. And Adams didn't play in, what, two and a half games? Pretty much, yeah. But, I mean, both of those statistics, those are those are good things. That means you're scoring a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. You, obviously, you don't have to punt or settle for field goals. So that means not only is your offense really good, but your offense is also really good in the red zone. Yeah, which is huge. Devontae Adams scored more total points than Mason Crosby. So I was like, oh, this kicker has now become the franchise's you know top scorer. Devontae Adams this season had 108 points. Crosby had 107. That's wild. As Mason Crosby played in every single game, right? And Devontae Adams missed two and a half games. Adams' 18 touchdown catches tied the team record and ranks third all time. While Crosby made uh, all of his 16 field goal attempts, just don't ask him about a couple of those extra point attempts. And you were talking about red zone dominance, Rowdy. 
The Packers scored touchdowns on 48 of 60 trips into the red zone. As the team calls it this year, the gold zone. That's why you hear the, I love gold, like gold number. The offense had an 80% touchdown conversion rate inside of the 20-yard line. Five percentage points better than the second-best team in the NFL, and that would be the Tennessee Titans at 75%. Wow. The Packers' touchdown percentage in the red zone was the highest in the NFL over the last 40 seasons. So you have the Packers having more touchdowns than punts, one of four teams in the history of the NFL to do it. Devontae Adams scoring more total points, 108 than Mason Crosby, 107. Their red zone dominance, 80% conversion rate, is the highest in the NFL over the last 40 seasons. And Aaron Rodgers, new team records, 48 touchdown passes, 51 total. His 48 touchdown passes tied Dan Marino for fifth most of all time. Rodgers never threw for more than four touchdown passes in a single game, but he had four touchdown passes in seven different games, the third most in NFL history. Yeah, and that scoring in the red zone is huge, especially in in close games. Now, I know the Packers haven't played as many close games as they did last last season, but maybe that's why they're not playing as many close games. Instead of getting three, they're getting seven points. You talked about how they led the NFL with 80%. They score a touchdown in the red zone 80% of the time. I believe the league average normally is right around 60%. Yeah. So that's that's just killing the average. You don't have to settle for field goals. And when you're scoring more touchdowns, it means you're having, most of the time, longer drives. Yeah. You're keeping your defense off the field. And we're talking about a lot of how the offense is doing really well, scoring more than they have to punt, having the highest percentage of scoring in the red zone. But we haven't even talked about the defense yet, and the defense, from what I saw, finished in the there. top ten. We're getting there. We're getting there for the there. first time in a decade. We're getting there. We got till ten. Uh, so another stat I was looking at here: uh, the consistency of excellence from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers set new NFL records for games with passer ratings of at least one hundred. He had fourteen of them. Wow! With at least three touchdown passes and a passer rating uh, of at least you know one hundred. So, wow, Rodgers. Rodgers, absolutely incredible. This is uh, this is like beyond elite level for Aaron Rodgers. The Packers scored 30 or more points in 12 different games. Matt LaFleur's team had as many games with 40 or more points as games under 30. So he had four over 30 and four under. Only once were the Packers held under 20 points. And, and looking at this uh, offense in Aaron Rodgers, after it was uh, Daphne, right? Daphne, who scored the first touchdown for the Packers against the Chicago Bears. Like, who the hell is this guy? This guy's like a refrigerator. This guy is a freaking unit. 11 different players caught touchdown passes from Rodgers in 2020. Obviously, Devontae Adams had 18. Robert Tunyon had 11. Marquez Valdez-Scantling had six. Should have had seven in that game against the Bears. Alan Lazard, three. Mercedes Lewis, three. Aaron Jones, two. Jamal Williams, one. Equiminia St. Brown, Malik Taylor, Jay Sternberger, and Daphne, all with one. The fact that Aaron Rodgers has been able to not only share the wealth, but also have Devontae Adams tie and set records is is incredible. I think, man, remember last year when we were unsure about Matt LaFleur and Wonder Boy, his, his status as Wonder Boy? Remember that, Rowdy? We kind of scoffed at the idea of Wonder Boy. Is he living up to that moniker of Wonder Boy now? Well, I think there's two things that that have contributed to that. One, Aaron Rodgers is back to being MVP Aaron Rodgers. 
That's huge. Yeah. That that fixes a lot of issues. That that was the glue that held the Green Bay Packers together from the mid 2010s until basically now. That was that was Aaron Rodgers. And two, it's the second year of the system, and I think when you look at what Matt LaFleur has been able to do, they've been able to run the ball consistently well with Aaron Jones, with Jamal Williams, with A.J. Dillon. Mm -hmm. And it's just opened up even that much more for his play calling and his scheming and then having Aaron Rodgers being basically the guy pulling all the strings. I don't know if you could have a, a... better quarterback right now doing that no it's uh like the two Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers have this mind meld going on of just excellence of that offense and it definitely helps when Aaron Rodgers is playing at MVP caliber levels I mean he's going to be the MVP this year just give him the award Aaron Rodgers finished as the NFL's leader in completion percentage 70.7 percent of his passes that's what he completed Drew Brees second at 70.5 Deshaun Watson was 70.2 and Rodgers completed just 62% of his passes in 2019, 62 last year to 70.7 this year. You said it yesterday, Rowdy. He rose it by over eight points. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's, it's, it's incredible. He's back to his MVP form. Aaron Rodgers, I, I honestly didn't know if we were ever going to see this Aaron Rodgers, the MVP Aaron Rodgers again, basically, after that weird, wonky injury riddle 2017, and then he came back in 2018 hurt his leg, but had a really down, really, really down year for Aaron Rodgers. I was unsure if we would see this type of Aaron Rodgers again. Yeah. Just because he was getting older. He was 35. He was on the wrong side of 35. Well, and just like, look at last year. I mean, Rodgers was 62% completion percentage last year. It's like, okay, it's pretty good. His previous career high was 68.3. But last year, you still, there was still some just jointedness. He would make that occasional big play. Like, okay, that's the, that's the Aaron vintage Aaron Rodgers, the Aaron Rodgers of old that we love. This year, the dude is like, you could just put this season on and it would be its own like YouTube highlight. You know how they have those career highlights for players that you can go watch? This year alone is all career highlights. Rodgers, wow, 70.7%. He finished 10 games with a completion percentage of 70 or better. Phenomenal. Crazy. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about some of those stats from Rodgers that were earlier in his career before he got into it well into his 30s. Yeah. That was when he was firing on all cylinders. That Mike McCarthy offense was firing on all cylinders. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I would love to see what Aaron Rodgers and those rosters from those earlier Packer years would do with Matt LaFleur and this current scheme and system. Because obviously the wide receivers that Aaron Rodgers had back then were a lot better than what he currently has. That was when they had an an old Donald Driver, but then you had Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones. Yep. You had uh, Jermichael Finley before the injury. Yep. Those teams had so much more receiving talent than what he currently has now because we've talked about it at length. It's Devontae Adams and then a bunch of other guys. Yeah. There weren't there aren't names that Packer fans. Well, you saw. It. I mean, he had a, he had the most the the best completion or the quarterback rating ever, 122.5 in 2011. I mean, he's, he set records. He's, he holds the record. And that's why I think it would be, it would have been insane. I would love to see what the numbers could have done if he had this type of scheme and system. Cause we know that McCarthy, yeah, he was good, but he also, they like to play a lot of schoolyard football where it was like, get yourself open. Matt LaFleur is drawing a lot of these plays and getting guys open themselves. Yeah. Could you imagine getting like Greg Jennings, more footballs in the open field out of the slot 
Or could you imagine drawing up plays when you have four or five different receivers that are capable of all taking it to the house? Like, I know we talk about Alan Lazard's been been a serviceable player. MVS has had his up and downs. But those guys are nowhere near the same talent level as the Donald Drivers. The, even no, the Rogers James had Jones, incredible talent. The, the Greg Jennings. Those guys back then, if they were in this system, I they might average 40 points a game. Yeah, I, I would love to see someone outside of just Devontae Adams, you know, being a – I mean, you just said it to your point, Greg Jennings – Donald Driver, et cetera, et cetera. Let's you can hate the- Greg Jennings now, but back in his day with the Packers, he was a hell of a receiver. Oh, yeah, he was phenomenal. All right, so looking else out here, um, you know, okay, so Rodgers and that offense, yes. I mean, if you had the likes of Greg Jennings, you throw in – well, I mean, okay. Do you think if Matt LaFleur, you know, closed door, closed door, you could ask him anything, he'd be truthful. Do you think if he had a quarterback to run this offense and he had his pick of the litter, do you think he'd take – anyone else besides Aaron Rodgers? Because I th- I think right now, especially with where Aaron Rodgers is at, with the fact that Matt LaFleur likes to run the football, Aaron Rodgers obviously getting older, wants to prolong his career. Mm-hmm. He's a little more open these days. He's a little more honest with himself. He's a little more uh, ready to maybe hand the ball off a little bit more than what he wanted to with Mike McCarthy. Now, I think the running backs are also a little bit better right now with Matt LaFleur than what McCarthy had when it was like oh, James yeah. James Starks or give me Aaron Jones all day over the, I mean Eddie two, Lacy was good for like a year yeah, and a half. The two seasons of Eddie Lacy before he really put on the weight. Well, so they yeah, had Cedric the, Benson for a while. The the running back room is much better right now yeah. under LaFleur, but that's because that's how he wants to play football. That's how he wants to 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 coordinate his games with running the football. Do you think he would take any other quarterback ahead of Aaron Rodgers to be his quarterback, because I don't think yeah Jordan this, Love in this type of system, I don't think I'd want Mahomes because Mahomes wants to throw the football forty five times a game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is perfect for this. Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, we see them throwing you know forty times a game. He's throwing for three hundred and fifty yards. I believe he led the league in attempts. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers has been okay with throwing the football twenty twenty five times a game. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is perfect for the system. I mean, him and Matt LaFleur, you come in with a breath of fresh air like LaFleur was after Mike McCarthy and that gone stale. It's, you know, you needed some time because Rodgers only knew that Mike McCarthy, you know, West Coast offense his whole career. Matt LaFleur comes in, he wants to tweak everything. And it took that one year of growing pains last year. Rodgers then talks about how, you know, no really preseason, they all sat around. He said that was literally his desert rose for learning more into the playbook and diving in. And once he finally did, you know, understood the intricacies of it all, look at what we saw. They're flourishing. Rodgers gets it, right? Rodgers is smart. He's cerebral. Hell, he beat an astronaut in jeopardy. Aaron Rodgers understands to lo- prolong his career, you got to rely on a run game. you got to rely on you know, not this hero ball that was once played by the, you know, by the Green Bay Packers. So, yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is the perfect fit. I don't know who else would even – who else would thrive in a Matt LaFleur offense? Well, you talk I'm thinking about, maybe a guy like would Tannehill, because Tannehill likes it. I mean, LaFleur was there. You talk about I'm trying to think of uh, a guy who could hand it off but still make timely short passes. You talk Tannehill about, couldn't hit the long passes, though. You talk about being cerebral, and you, you think about quarterbacks that were referred to as cerebral, cerebral, and you think of Aaron Rodgers, you think of like the Peyton Mannings of the world. Yeah. Maybe to a degree, Drew Brees. Yeah. I've honestly, I, I mean, it's not that I watch him all the time or watch every single game. I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is dumb by any means, but I'm saying you never really hear him. Oh, you're calling him dumb. 
hear him being called cerebral where he knows everything, you know Patrick Mahomes is a talent, though. He's just a you, gamer. You, this you guy's know, a gamer. You know he's got that arm, and you know you know he can read coverages, obviously, but you don't hear as much about Patrick Mahomes, you know, maybe changing plays at the lines or No, it's just him like squeezing out of the pocket yeah, and doing something like no look pass. Yeah, or, a no look pass or creating a maneuver in the pocket to climb up into the pocket and make a play with his arm because he's he does have the best arm in football right now. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying when you're not throwing it all the time, you're looking to run it a little bit more, and it's a little more strategic. I don't know if you if there's a better guy right now than Aaron Rodgers for that exact game plan that Matt Lafleur wants to play. Well, let me ask you this: Do you think Rodgers could flourish in any system with any quarterback? I think that's also a real, <laughs> I think that's also a, I think that's a really, very realistic that Rodgers would be able to get it done in anywhere. But yes, I mean it's like a perfect mind meld of Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers. It's um I think last year cuz last year I think there was some hesitancy, there was some resistance, there was some, you know, stuck in my old ways. And then after cuz Matt LaFleur is isn't he younger than Aaron Rodgers? Like Matt LaFleur had to I go I think he's a couple years older. Is he uh, I think Matt LaFleur had to go prove himself to Aaron Rodgers. And I think last year he proved himself to Aaron Rodgers. And Rodgers is like, "Okay, I think this guy can get her done." Yeah, Matt LaFleur, I think he just turned 40 and Rodgers is what 37. So, oh, 41. There you go. So Matt Lafleur had to prove himself to Rodgers, almost similar age, and Rodgers like, "All right, you proved it, dude. And now I'm gonna dive more into your playbook, my desert rose, and we're gonna get her going and dominate." All right, I have comments from head coach Matt Lafleur, and Lafleur talking, obviously Sunday after the victory over the Chicago Bears, and then yesterday to the media, uh, Rodgers is up for the MVP award. We Rowdy, I think it's pretty obvious that Aaron Rodgers, we we all can admit that he's going to get the MVP, yes? If he doesn't, we riot. Yeah, I don't know where we're going to riot, but we're going to find a place where we're going to get her going. We're gonna, NFL headquarters. Yeah, Roger Goodell, we're coming and hell's coming with us. If it's, you know, not the case of Rodgers coming to fruition of the MVP. Matt LaFleur talks on Rodgers being the MVP. Here's more from Wonder Boy. I just think you look at everything he does for us, you know, obviously leading us on the field, uh, you know, number one seed. But I think you look at the production, I think those numbers kind of speak for themselves. And he's done it a variety of different ways in terms of with multiple different people in our lineup. And we've consistently been able to produce all season long. I don't think there's anybody in the game that's played as consistent or as well as he has. Um, no lies were ever told right there. Most consistent? Yes. Unbelievable? Yes. Speaking of unbelievable, the wide receiver, Devontae Adams, last time I checked, that guy's pretty good. Here's more on Rodgers and Devontae Adams from Matt LeFleur. Yeah, those guys are just the best at what they do. In my opinion, it's not even close in terms of what Aaron's, not only what he does on the field, but what he brings to this team. And then Tay is, I can't even find the words to articulate just what he's able to do and the value he brings to our football team. Those guys are two special Hall of Fame players that consistently show up and perform at a, at a really high level. Now... I mean, Aaron Rodgers had Jordy Nelson, and that connection was special, unbelievable. Uh, Rodgers was asked, and I remember the broadcast against the Bears, do you think you'd ever find someone with a connection you had like to Jordy? Rodgers says no, but then this guy named Devontae Adams comes around. Do you remember, Rowdy, after his rookie year, we even had former listeners calling him drop Vontae Adams and wanting to cut Tay. What? Good thing uh, the Packers fans don't run the organization, right? 
the well, list, sometimes they should. The but. listener part was a little before me, but I just remember as a fan watching Devontae Adams, you could see that there were flashes. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of it was kind of like the the Valdez Scantling, right? Like yeah, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Right now, you'd see a good play, and then you'd see some drops, and you're like, "Dude, just catch the football! So what's going on, man?" Right? But yeah, I'd say you saw a little bit more flashes than you do with MVS. I feel like MVS is a little bit more of a one-trick pony. Now, when uh, Jordy was uh, saying uh, adieu, uh, goodbye to his career, and you know, eventually went to be a Raider, then retired, did you think Devontae Adams could? step up and fill that void like he has so well, successfully. Well, he, he was starting to come on, right? Yeah. Now, am I going to say I thought he was going to be the best wide receiver in the <laughs> league? No. Did I think he was going to be a, a top five receiver in the league? No, yeah. but he was looking like he could get into that top 10, top 15. Devontae Adams now is the best wide receiver in the game. Devontae Adams is the first player in NFL history with over 100 receptions and 18 receiving touchdowns in a season. He had 115 catches and 18 receiving touchdowns, first player in NFL history to ever do it, and he only did it in 14 games. What? Well, when you look at Jordy Nelson, one of the things that made Jordy Nelson so good was obviously Aaron Rodgers was in his prime. Aaron Rodgers was at his peak when Jordy Nelson was in his prime. Another thing that they had going for him was he was an extremely good route runner. Yeah. And he had and he had really good feet especially on the sidelines. Now Jordy Jordy Nelson had some pretty decent measurables coming out of college. Like he had a solid vert, he had he had a solid 40-yard dash. He had solid numbers. Work ethic off the charts, farm boy. Exactly. But now you you wonder, well obviously the relationship was really good because he was a good receiver and yeah. Aaron Rodgers just made him that much better. Yeah. I think when you look at Devonte Adams, you talk about route running. Whew, it's pretty. Devonte Adams is one of the best route runners in the NFL right now. And you look at those feet when he gets separation. It's crazy. Like at the line, and and I think they had it on one of the broadcast from one of the recent games. They were talking about how Devontae Adams, when he releases from the line, his footwork is so good, he hardly ever even locks up with the guy using his hands. Yeah, they, he, he's yeah. just he's just straight up beating him with his feet. He doesn't even have he's to gone. use his hands. He's by them. Yeah. That, yeah. Now no he doesn't hand fight, he's gone. Watching Jordy, if I remember correctly, he was extremely good. I don't even think he was as good as Devontae Adams because you still saw him locking up using hands, get, getting free Devonte Adams is just blowing by people. Yeah, he's gone. He's just a cloud of dust. So I, I, I think you'd have to say right now his route running is probably even better than what Jordy's was. Mm-hmm. And then you go, you go on. Besides that, Devonte Adams is getting himself open, dude. Um, Chad, Chad Ochocinco, aka Chad Johnson. There's a video of Chad Johnson. This is from I think it was either last year or two years ago. Where Chad Johnson is just—he's just watching the route running of Devonte Adams, and he's filming himself. And Chad Johnson, while he's watching Devonte Adams' footwork and route running, Chad Johnson starts to cry tears of joy, and says, "This is the most beautiful route running, the most beautiful footwork I have ever seen in my entire time of watching, analyzing NFL and the players." It it, it brought. Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, two tears. The video exists. I'll, I'll try and find it and post it again. It's, it's incredible. Well, you know how a lot of the NFL in the past used to be just straight up speed? 
Yeah. And we're seeing now that Jordy Nelson was an extremely good receiver. He ran like in the four fives, mid four fives. Devonte Adams is an extremely good receiver. He runs in the mid four, four fives. fives. Yeah. These aren't guys that are running the Veldez Scantling four threes, but the footwork is so good that they can get themselves open and they're fast enough that once they get a step or two, yeah, other guys aren't able to catch up to them. Yeah, they're gone. They're just fast enough. Yep. It's that he, Tay does that one thing where he's like, if you watch his feet, he like has them, you know, side by side. Then he does like the the elongated stance, and then he does a little shuffle and poof. And I think gone. another thing that he has going for him that's probably better than what Jordy had was his quickness, like yeah. his side to side movement and quickness. I think is higher than Jordy Nelson. So did you ever think you were going to see that type of relationship again? No, no. But then when you get an athlete like Devonte Adams who puts the work in and all of a sudden he's probably just a little bit better physically than Jordy Nelson was. And then he got his hands to catch up where his, his physical abilities were. Aaron Rodgers is back to being Aaron Rodgers. Devonte Adams is Devonte Adams. Yeah. He's a beast. Probably the best receiver in football. Yeah. I probably he I'm already I'm ready to say he is. Uh here's more from head coach Matt LaFleur talking about not only Devante, but other play players scoring. Thirteen players scoring an offensive touchdown, including Dominic Daphne. He's a guy that prior to him even suiting up for us had been flashing quite a bit on scout team. And then you start talking to him and I'm asking Justin Outen. Justin Outen does a hell of a job of really developing players and getting them ready to play. But you start talking to him, you start to see what he brings to the scout team. And you're like, man, this kid could be a player. All right, we'll keep talking Packers. We'll keep talking, you know, what they're going to do in their, uh, you know, their off week here as the wildcard weekend is going to get underway. Uh, but real quick, one more from Matt LaFleur, just talking about the Packers as a whole. To navigate through the season has, has definitely been a challenge, but you know everybody's done their part, and people have gone above and beyond probably their normal job responsibilities to, to get us to this point. And you know, it's never easy in this league, and, and this game was pretty indicative of that. So we'll keep talking that. We'll talk Packers defense, something that I know was on the tip of your tongue a little bit ago, Rowdy. We'll talk Packers defense coming up. Let's go to the phones really quick. Who's this? Z and the D. Zach and the Dells. Breath of fresh air. What's up, man? Not much. Uh, I won't touch in the Dave from earlier because I think a couple of callers already hit on notes. But uh, Who, yeah, the Wizard Dave from Monona? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you shouldn't hit a cripple, but you shouldn't hit Nelly. I mean, <laughs> Nelly's doing his job. You know, sometimes you have to have that gang to be gang. Sometimes it takes yeah. outra- yeah. outrageous. Sometimes they're a breath of fresh air, I feel. Sure, sure, sure. So, um... As far as the Devontae and Jordy, um, I think right now Devontae's got the edge. The only thing I would give Jordy the edge on is on the routes that, like, if Rodgers is rolling out um, and he needs to find a receiver, Jordy was always that guy that would correct his route and adjust his route so Rodgers would find him. So he would make that, that route that's supposed to be a 10-yard post and he saw Rodgers rolling to his right, so he cut off that post and go to the sideline. And Jordy on the sideline catches was a thing of beauty. Now, oh, the Devontae, to- the toe tapping at the sideline from Rodgers. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like know if anyone, shoulder throw. I don't know oh. if anyone gets better than Jordy Nelson along the sideline. Pitching a tent here, Zach. Exactly. I mean, Devontae could take notes, but Devontae doesn't really need to take notes because they're not really ever in that situation. Um. But, I mean, Devontae on the fade on the, like, you know, 
what was it? I think it was against, who was it, the Titans? I believe someone did uh, the belt when they made an interception. I think it was Malcolm Butler. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did the belt. And, the, and it pissed off Tay. And it pissed him off. And, you know, the Packers could have just ran the ball, ran the clock out if they really wanted to. But, you know, Devontae took it at heart. He's like, you don't disrespect my quarterback. And he ran that fade route with a hand being tied pretty much behind his back by the defender and still caught it on the sidelines while making the play, being both in bounds. So as far as the best best receiver right now in the game is Devontae. That's not coming from a homer standpoint. That's not that's coming from a nationwide standpoint. We all we're seeing it in their eyes that Devontae can be trusted. Now if you threw Devontae with another quarterback, if you threw him with a top ten quarterback, I think Devontae would still have the same numbers. But if you throw him with a, a, a like a number twenty and a thirty quarterback, I don't think you'd have the same numbers. I think he would probably be about twenty catches less and obviously about 10 touchdowns left. Zach, I love what you said. It's Devontae Adams. He's known as the greatest nationwide, dude. Yeah, that's what he needs to be known. Some respect. Um, As the guy said earlier, Rodgers is the MVP, but one of the most important players on this team right now is Devontae Adams. So keep feeding the ball. Let's go back. Let's uh, get that train rolling, the Super Bowl, down to Tampa Bay, my friend. Hell yeah. Thanks, Zach. Later, guys. See you, buddy. Nationwide is known Devontae Adams, the first player in NFL history with over 100 receptions and 18 receiving touchdowns. He bad, baby. Yes, sir. He did it in 14 games. All right, Packers defense, man, they've been crushing it, Rowdy. You were uh, you wanted to you wanted to talk defense there about 20 minutes ago. I had to stop because we were uh, salivating over the Packers offense. What were you trying to say there about the Packers defense? Were they finished? Yeah, they finished in the top 10 for the first time, I think it was, since the Super Bowl season. Eat your heart out, Dom Capers, you schlep. Yeah, pretty crazy, man, of what the Packers defense has been able to accomplish in this last half of the season. Uh, They have some ballers, man. They have some gamers on that side of the ball. It's just, you know, the start of the season, you're wondering to yourself, are they have talent? I know they're not, like, full of talent on the defensive end, but they have talent there. How can they not get it going? I think Mike Pettin... And his scheme was just a little different. But you've also seen the reemergence. Preston Smith looks slow and sluggish like he was on the Eddie Lacy diet. And Rashawn Gary has actually been having a very nice season uh, nearing the end here. Or yeah, I guess I'll, it is the end. I'll say this. If Rashawn Gary wasn't on the roster playing like he wa- like he did so far this year, this team would have been in a worse spot. Just yeah. because Preston Smith hasn't played up to that contract in year two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that official stat was the Packers finished ninth in total defense giving up an average of 334 yards a game, which was their first time in the top 10 since 2010. Wow. Crazy. Can you feel it? Can you like? Can you feel it Doesn't, in the air? Didn't that 2010 team, when you look at the two, feel like there were so many more playmakers yeah. on that? Because you had Nick Collins. Yep. You had Charles Woodson. Chuck. You had a young uh, Clay Matthews. Uh, if I remember correctly, you had Desmond Bishop, who... <laughs> Was a good player before, I believe it was injuries that kind of derailed his career. They had a lot of but talent. They had on a lot, roster. they had a lot of talent and it was younger. Yep. Now you look at who it is now. It's the Smith brothers. It's yeah. Gary. It's uh you Savage. Al- you got Jair Alexander. Jair Alexander's been an animal this year. Uh it's Amos. And notice how we haven't said Kevin King. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Kenny Clark, you know, you got uh, you got you got pieces there, you got talent, and they're coming into their own. It's kind of shades of that. 
2010-2011 season when the Packers went on to win the Super Bowl, you can kind of feel it in the air. It was an opportunistic defense. You know, Savage has been getting opportunistic with his interceptions. They've been marketably better as they're nearing the playoffs is what you want to see. You know how we were talking about Savage quite a bit the last few weeks, and we were like, it seems like since week 10 he's been playing a lot better because that was when he started to – it seemed like fly around the the field a whole lot more. He was he was getting in on and not missing tackles. He was I think he had three interceptions in a two game span right around that that tenth eleventh game. I actually saw a stat the other day that said Pro Football Focus graded out the the best safeties since week ten. And guess who the top two are? Who? Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage. Pretty nice, eh? It, well, it Pretty shows. Nice, eh? It shows, doesn't it? It does. The Packers' defense has looked so much better since around Week Ten. Yep. It all seems to have started with the bad San Francisco game, which, hey, it's still an NFL team that's trying to win games. At least they were at that point in the season. Yep. <laughs> Here's a. But but they played a lot better, and those two guys being graded out as the best two safeties in the NFL the last six weeks of the season. You can tell that the defense got better. You could tell that Savage was flying around making plays. You all of a sudden saw Amos was more steady the whole season, but he even picked up his game. And the defense got better. They shut down run games. They shut down some passing games. Jair Alexander graded out as the best corner. Yeah, he's, and I don't know yeah. if that really surprises people. No, I don't think because it does. he was he was absolutely a beast all season. Like look at him creating that fumble that Rashawn Gary recovered. Yeah. Uh, Jair, that was an insane play. Jair Alexander allowed just 4.8 yards per attempt on throws into his coverage per pro football focus, and he gave up just two touchdown passes while breaking up 13 other passes and committing just one penalty. Here is head coach Matt LaFleur on his defense. We've challenged them in terms of running to the football, getting multiple hats at the point of attack, and I think our guys have answered that. They're playing with more energy, more emotion, playing together, really focused on doing their their 111th, doing their job at the best of their ability. And so that's something we'll continue to stress, and I, I think our guys have really improved in that regard. You know, their run defense has improved as well. Uh, here's more from LaFleur on that. You know, that's going to be something that we're going to continue to stress, but I'm really proud of our guys, the way they've answered that challenge, because that was – you know, a glaring blemish, if you will, um, <laughs> prior to the last couple of weeks. And our guys have answered it time and time again. And we're going to need to continue to do that because that's playoff football. Teams are going to try to run it and they need to be able to run it in order to have success. Is everything just coming together for the Packers at the exact right time? Now, I know David Bakhtiari. We're going to talk about the line coming up for, you know, protecting Rodgers. I know David Bakhtiari and that injury on New Year's Eve was literally the last kick in the nut kick continuum of 2020 it had to get one last hurrah on there uh but you know we'll talk David Bakhtiari coming up but Rowdy um is everything kind of coming together for the Packers at the right time well you look minus at minus the Bakhtiari you look at all of a sudden coming around is Darnell Savage Adrian Amos has picked up his production Jair Alexander has been one of the best corners in the NFL all season Kevin King has been available <laughs> <laughs> when you when you can say that Kevin King's been available, that's a good thing for the Packers. And then you look at the the linebackers. Is it just me or Kamal Martin is now back? And then you have Kirksey's all of a sudden making plays. And I'm blanking on the the other linebacker's name. He seems to be making some plays here all of a sudden. Um, 
Barnes? Barnes. I couldn't. Th- I knew it was a B. I couldn't think of what it was. Yeah, I wanted to say Burns, but I knew that was wrong. Not but Mr. Yeah, Barnes. Burns. Barnes is now making some plays, it seems like. So it seems like the linebackers have been playing a little bit better. Then you mix that with the fact that Mike Pettin seems to be putting a few more guys in the box and having a few more five-man fronts. But another thing that I think needs to be said is how about Snacks Harrison? Dude, Snacks Harrison sudden, came right in. He's like, I'm hungry, baby. Feed me. All of a sudden coming to the Packers late. Late, late in the season. Yeah. That was a guy that you knew Kenny Clark was was the stopper in the middle. Yep. But you had questions pretty much all around him. And uh, Kiki has played pretty well. Yeah. But he also was out with a concussion. And he hasn't been a consistent player his whole career. You bring in a veteran like Snacks Harrison. I know he didn't play a ton. But it was nice to see but him get when, in, right? When he did play, it seemed like that run defense was much better, and it was definitely much better than when Lancaster was in there. Yeah. So you would you would have to imagine that he will be playing second fiddle to Kenny Clark in those three man uh, defensive lines. Yeah. But he should he'd probably be playing more and more because I think he got like twelve snaps. Yeah, he did, in, he got limited game. stamps, but he looked good when he was in there. It was nice to see a guy getting only, acclimated. I could only imagine he gets more throughout. Oh yeah, no doubt. Being with the Packers for longer. All right, so I'm getting a lot of messages right now on Twitter and uh, yeah, just on Twitter right here. Our guy Pike Slayer, all the way up in Marinette. What's up, brother? Forgotten Fire Winery, good stuff up there. I could go for a nice red. He uh, sent me some Devonte Adams stats, and then I got another one from Ben. He says you got to read off. Devontae Adams stats at Fresno State for two years because they are wild. I'll do that coming up. We also got Rowdy's Gamble and pick the Razor's Edge on the way. But first, I want one more comment from Matt LaFleur, the Packers head coach here, because we were talking about how good the linebackers have looked lately. Rashawn Gary finally looking like he's coming into that 12th overall pick. You got Preston Smith finally looking like he's getting off that COVID-19 weight. Not, you know, 19 pounds, that is, of the quarantine. Zadarius you know, being the constant and the other names we listed. Here is LaFleur on the improvement of the linebacker group on the inside. All three of those guys who are getting the bulk of it have really picked up the play in that room, which has helped our defense as a whole. I think the communication's been better. I think guys are playing more aggressive, more physical. Guys are running to the football. Uh, We're stressing all those little things that I think become big things. The urgency, the effort, the intensity has definitely increased from the midpoint of the season. It's been it's been a thing of beauty lately, man. We went from booing Mike Pettin to now being like, okay, guy. All right, guy. I like what you got going so, on. We were talking about Jair Alexander in the season he had earlier. Here's a Zach Cruz tweet. According to Pro Football Focus, Jair, Jair Alexander gave up 35 catches over 563 pass coverage snaps. QBs average just 4.9 yards per attempt against his coverage with 13 pass breakups and only one penalty. Wow. Easily the number one rated cornerback in the NFL by pro football folk. We'll start with uh, Devontae first, talking about how good this cat is. Best re- best wide receiver in the NFL, hands down. Easily can say that. Uh, ben had messaged me on Twitter. My Twitter account at Ebo says, uh, he messaged me, DM'd me, and says, Ebo. Devontae Adams' stats in two years at Fresno State is a mic drop. Um, I've uh, Full disclosure, I've never really dove into Devontae Adams' numbers. Uh, well, when the draft was around, yes, but that was, you know, he was at Fresno State 2012-2013. I kind of forgot about it, put it on the back burner. So, Ben, thank you for sending it to me. Rowdy, 13 games played by uh, Devontae Adams in 2012 at Fresno State as a freshman. He recorded 102 receptions. 
for 1,312 yards and 14 touchdowns. Pretty good, right, as a freshman? Then his second year, 2013, as a sophomore, Devontae Adams uh, almost, he has 29 more receptions, so he's at 131. He adds 400 more yards. He has 1,719 yards. And then from 14 touchdowns his freshman year to 24 touchdowns his sophomore year. Oh, my God. The jump. I mean, freshman year, phenomenal. But his sophomore year, same amount of games, 13. 131 receptions for 1,719 yards and 24 touchdowns. He averaged 13.1 yards per catch. That dude is insane. What do you think of those numbers, Rowdy? Yeah, those are really good numbers. I don't want to... Not to take anything away from Devontae Adams, but if you remember who the quarterback was for those two years... Yeah, who was that? Derek Carr. <laughs> so he had a pretty good quarterback at Fresno State. Totally. Um, and then we got this. Those are great numbers for Devontae. Now he's you know, the best wide receiver in the game. And then... Did Pro Football Focus Grier, uh, Grier, grade Jair Alexander out as the best at his position? Yes. According to Pro Football Focus, he was the best corner this season. And then our guy Pike Slayer won all the way up there in Marinette. What's up, Jake? Love your wine. Forgotten fire. He says, Jair Alexander, my buddy made this, versus opposing number one wide receivers. Week one, Jair Alexander against Adam Thielen. Four receptions on six targets for only 66 yards. Week two, Against Marvin Jones Jr., Jones has two receptions on three targets for 11 yards. <laughs> Week three against Emmanuel Sanders, zero reception on one target for zero yards. Week four against Calvin Ridley, zero receptions on two targets for zero yards. Week six against Mike Evans, zero receptions, one target, zero yards. Week seven against Will Fuller, zero receptions on one target for zero yards. Week eight against Justin Jefferson. One reception on two targets for 12 yards. I could keep going on and on and on and on. The most was Allen Robinson, week 12. Three receptions on four targets for 28 yards. No one, There's no other else besides the week one was four receptions on six targets for Adam Thielen. Jair Alexander is absurd. Absurd. And of all the guys he covered, let's see here. He says, I marked in red every guy he covered who had 1,000 yards this year. And in purple, every guy who has had multiple 1,000-yard seasons in the past. He gave up 60 yards in eight games total versus guys who had over 1,000 yards this season. He only gave up 28 yards in two games versus Allen Robinson, who had 1,250 yards this season. (laughs) 